Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Moses, and usually I'm up here uh, helping with music. Uh, this morning, I'm actually going to be delivering the message. Uh, <laughs> before I do, oh, no need, let's not, let's not get ahead of ourselves here, right? Like, uh, uh, I'm very delighted that I can help this morning. Graham already, sorry, I'm just trying to turn this on. And I didn't test this mic. Are we okay on the stream? Perfect. Um, before we begin, I'd like to uh, welcome you officially. Those of you who are joining us online, we're delighted that you can join us. Uh, we do have an opportunity to give here at Into One. Um, oh. Okay. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Oh, okay. All right. Um, so you can, uh, here at Into One, we, we talk very much about being part of a family that gives, and there are multiple ways that we can give. We can give with our time, we can give with our talents, and we can also give with our treasure. Um, and so we encourage you to consider how you can give in all three ways. Um, if, you would, if you're thinking about giving um, in terms of finances, there are multiple ways you can do that. We, you can uh, e-transfer to info at Into One, uh, and if you go on our website, uh, at into1.ca, you'll also see some other opportunities there uh, to also give um, other than e-transfer. So as I begin, why don't we uh, start with prayer? Let's pray. God, it is a beautiful day today. Thank you so much for uh, waking us up this morning, because when you do, we are reminded that you have work for us. Thank you for guiding for those of us that are here in person on Main Street. Thank you for guiding us and uh, keeping us until we got here safely. Uh, for those who are joining online, God, thank you for um, yeah, making that available to us so that we can connect in that way. God, you're always speaking to us. You always have things you want us to hear from you. So I pray, God, that you open our hearts, our minds, that your spirits invade those spaces um, so that we can hear what you have for us to say this morning. Thank you for how you have been so faithful in each of our lives and how you will continue to prove yourself faithful as well. Be with us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So, this morning, uh, we're going to continue with the series. We're going to continue with the series on the king, on kings. Oh, okay. My, my little laptop here is telling me that I'm, my battery's dying, so we'll see how this goes. <clears throat> so I'm wondering about this. I have a, a couple of questions. When I say the word freedom, what comes to mind? So just take a few seconds to conjure up some ideas of what comes to mind when I say the word freedom. And okay, now what about this? When I say that someone is free, what does that mean to you? There, there's this expression that I've been hearing a lot being used. Um, part of my work, I get to work with high school students, particularly students in grade 12. Um, and, uh, you know, when you work with young people, you start hearing phrases that you've never encountered before in your life. And suddenly you feel much older than you probably are. Um, but there's this expression that I've heard a lot, and it, it's uh, the expression, it, living your best life. 
So like, what are some contexts that you've heard this phrase being used, that someone is living their best life? Well, it, it's funny. Anytime you, someone seems to be um, doing what everyone could be envious of, uh, when they're living a life, it, it's like, oh, yeah, they're living their best life. What's interesting to me is that this phrase, living your best life, there's a key idea that I think underlies this expression, and it's this idea of freedom. So we've talked about, I've had you consider what it is that freedom might mean to you. Yes, sorry. What I'm wondering is, is what does freedom mean to you specifically as a believer? So consider that for a second, because we're going to move into the book of Judges, and we're going to be looking at kings, the story of the kings of Israel, and what led up to the kings. Oh, goodness. So can we start with, ah, hmm. we're going to start with the Old Testament in the book of Judges. Now, this book covers about 330 years of ancient Israelite history. Uh, the time they get to the promised land. Uh, let's, but let's quickly review that story. So can, if we can go to the next slide. So briefly, this is the history of the nation of Israel leading up to the book of Judges, starting at the far left. The nation of Israel was enslaved in Egypt. This guy comes along named Moses, and he delivers them out of Egypt. From there, this new guy comes in, Joshua. Joshua actually takes the people and then brings them into something called the promised land. This land is known as Canaan. When the Israelites move into Canaan, that's when we see about 330 years of history in which they are guided by and led by judges. And up until they actually have a king who is named Saul. So that is, that is the history that's leading up to our text today. Um, when they were with Joshua, it was fine. Joshua led the Israelite people to conquer nations in Canaan so that they could actually take the land. Even though Joshua wasn't a king, he was their established leader. So they followed him. But without him, they got into trouble. And they went through several, well, actually quite a lot more than several, of these cycles. And if we can go to the next slide, these are the cycles that the Israelite people went through. They found themselves disobeying God. Disaster would strike. It would come. And then they would, there'd be this cry for help. And then finally, God would deliver. So this cycle of disobedience, disaster, crying for help, and then God's deliverance was repeated over and over and over again for the Israelite people. That is what we're going to be, that frames what we're going to be talking about today, this cycle. Um, the Israelites' people, they would, they would say, oh, yeah, God, we're not, we're not going to do that again, and then they would, it would all just restart. Now, this is what's interesting. This is the same story of many of us. We are like the Israelite people. So, as we start today, let's actually go to the end of Judges. Let's start at the very end and the final statement in the book of Judges. So, Judges 21, verse 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Listen to this very carefully. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. 
there was no king. So everybody was just kind of doing, making it up as they went along. Yeah. And they probably said to themselves, I'll just keep doing what I want, when I want and with whom I want, and that will be right for me. They also didn't really care if they hurt anyone. The book of Judges, unfortunately, it ends terribly. If you see what precedes this statement, you see that it's awful, it's tragic, it really is a horrible story that shows how bad the nation of Israel had become. In fact, it's probably embarrassing. It's so bad. There's, there's no heroes, there's no redemption, nothing good comes out of this except for the setup of what follows after the book of Judges. So that's the end of the book of Judges. So we're going to now go to the beginning of the book of Judges. And it's funny to contrast the beginning to the end, but let's do that. The beginning of the book of Judges is, um, if we could characterize it, it would be a lot like uh, church camp for a teenager. So for me growing up, I did go to church camp as a teenager. And at church camp, you spend a lot of time reading lots of scripture. And, you know, the scripture, it sinks in. You're singing songs that you sing uh, with, with peers, and you feel connected to them, and, and that, in essence, feels like a proxy of God's presence. And, um, you know, when you're singing these songs and you're reading Scripture, it's just everything's better in those places, in those spaces. There's lots of teaching, especially as a teenager. Um, there's lots of teaching about the road ahead. Um, the road ahead, like what, what's going to happen after church camp? Oftentimes, for me in particular as a teenager, that road ahead that was described for us, it's a road where convicted needs to change. Uh, we often find ourselves, teenagers at church camp, wanting to make a big commitment. You know, uh, this, this life that I was living before, my time here at camp, I, I, don't, I don't want it to be like that. Maybe, maybe I found myself drinking with a lot of friends, and now I want to give that up. Or, or maybe I was in a, in a not so great relationship, romantic relationship with someone, and, and, and now I need, to, I need to break that up or break that relationship up. Or maybe uh, I don't have a great relationship with my parents, and uh, I need to patch things up with them. Maybe for some people, they felt like, you know, I'm, I'm doing things that I've been told I shouldn't do, like, you know, smoking, smoking up with my friends behind the garage, and maybe I need to stop that. Maybe I need to just adjust some friendships. Um, because I know I'm heading in the wrong direction. There's this real sense that I have to change. I've seen a pathway before me that it's better, and I desire it, and that's really where I want to go. As a teenager, these were very, very sincere and honest commitments. Well, the book of Judges, it begins like this, this sentiment of wanting to do better, knowing that I should be, do better. That's really the heart of the Israelite people. Um, so, as the book of Judges begins with Joshua uh, leading the people into the promised land and reminding them of their commitment to God and co God's commitment to them. So, Joshua knows he's about to die, and this is his last chance to remind them of what he said at the beginning of his story. The day you decide whom you will serve, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. He basically says that. Let's take a look at Joshua 24, 14. This is a quick summary of Joshua's speech. Now, fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your ancestors' worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. 
Uh, we could consider this like a code for breaking up with that significant other who's dragging you down a bad path. Um, stop getting distracted by the evil that surrounds you is what jo Josh was saying. You know, in modern terms, maybe it's get rid of that Jack Daniels that's under your bed. Get rid of your hidden stash. Get rid of all those things that, that's polluting your lives. Joshua gives a very long and very compelling speech. And so the people, they respond like this. Let's take a look at Joshua uh, 24, starting at verse 16. Then the people answered, Far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our parents up out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed these great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our, enti on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. Verse 18, we too will serve the Lord because he is our God. So the Israelite people are basically saying to Joshua, don't worry, Joshua. When you're gone, we, we're going to remain faithful, so faithful. We remember what it was like to serve Pharaoh in Egypt, what it was like. Uh, we've heard those stories, and, and we don't ever want to go back to being slaves to a foreign king. We have made a decision. God is our king. He has given us the law. You don't need to worry about us. We will never go back to serving a foreign king. We know that God is great and God is good and we thank him for our food and for everything else. So really honest reaction here. But if you keep reading a bit, Joshua actually calls them out. He says, I bet you will. I bet you will go back. Oh, no, 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 they say. No, we're not. That's, no, we're not. But then Joshua says, I actually think you will. You think you're not going to go back. You think this is going to be easy. You think you've learned your lesson. You think that you remember the pain and all the sorrow that went along with compromising God's relationship. But the people said to Joshua, chapter 24, verse 21. I don't know if I put that up. Mm. But the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. So Joshua says, all right, well, I've warned you. And as the story unfolds, Joshua does die. So the people now were in the land. They went in with God's law and this attitude that we're going to be able to do it. Yeah, God, we're going to keep God's law. We'll be faithful. The flowers on Joshua's tomb hadn't died when... We go to Judges chapter 2, verse 11, this. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the balls. They began looking around. They were feeling discontent with what they had, and they began doing exactly what Joshua had warned them not to do. And they did exactly the things they swore they would never do. It was like they got home from camp and went right back to all the stuff they'd done before and, in fact, added in some more. In Judges 2, verse 12, it reads, They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. Basically, they started looking around, and they started saying to themselves, You know what? We want, we want some of that. Why don't we ever get any of the good stuff? How, how come everyone else has always better stuff than us? Huh. We like that. Everyone else is doing it. This is just the way things work in the land of Canaan. We don't want to be oddballs here. So what do they do? They abandon the invisible king. 
They abandoned the law of God, and they just immersed themselves in the culture of the Canaanites. Well, part of the culture was the worship of the god Baal. Baal. Right after Joshua warned them, and right after they swore they'd never go back. See, the problem with Baal worship is that not, not simply that Baal was symbolized by an idol, because that was a big no-no to have an image of God represented. Uh, you know, that was in the Ten Commandments. The big issue was that everything that went along with worshiping this male and female, there was a female counterpart. See, the one thing is, is that when times got desperate, they would actually sacrifice people to Baal. When things got extra bad, the Canaanites would sacrifice children. When things got extra doubly bad, like a drought or enemies on the borders, they actually would sacrifice multiple children. There was one period of history where they required the richest people in the kingdoms to sacrifice their firstborn because this is the way they were going to get God's attention, Baal's attention. And, and so God had told them, you can't be a part of that. I don't want this kind of life for you. I have something so much better for you. But the next thing you know, the people of Israel had dipped into this horrible, horrible lifestyle. Judges 2, starting at verse 14. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. Verse 15. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them. Just as he has sworn to them, they were in great distress. So, basically, God gave them what they asked for. It's kind of like God said, you like the Canaanite lifestyle? Well, then you can become one of those people who lives under the rule of a Canaanite king, and you can experience what it's like to live in that world. I will allow you to be conquered by those you have copied. You abandoned me freely. You embraced their ways freely, but you just lost what was most important to you, your freedom. God kind of says, don't, don't you remember what it was like in Egypt? You don't. You weren't there, but you've heard the stories from so many of your friends and relatives. You, don't, you remember hearing about the stories of your ancestors and how they were so excited to be free from the authority of this pagan pharaoh who called himself a god, and now... You have willingly disobeyed and walked away from God and embraced the culture of the Canaanites. So God says, if that's what you want, here it is. So the next thing you know, the Israelites, they were no longer conquering the surrounding nations. In fact, they were conquered by the nations around them. They forsook the Lord, they followed the people around them, and ultimately they surrendered their freedom. So in the end, here is the point. Here's the part that always slips from us, slips on us. Here's the thing we never see coming till it's too late. Here's the thing that puts us in that cycle of, I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it with whom I want to do it. Israel simply traded one king for another. They were no longer able to resist. They willingly walked away from God and now found themselves in a place they could not freely go back. There is such a huge lesson in this for all of us. Let's take a look at that cycle again. The cycle that the Israelites followed over and over and over again can absolutely be replicated in our lives. 
at some point in our lives, we think we're tuned in to know what's right from wrong and know maybe even when God's idea of right and wrong, then at some point, we can decide that we're tired of all that stuff. We just want to do what we want to do. We might say to ourselves, you know, I'm tired of being a good, of being good. I'm tired of trying to be a Christian. I'm tired of not doing what people are doing around, what people around me are doing. I want to do that stuff. Maybe some of us, for some of us, this kind of self-talk was a moment in time. Uh, for others of us, maybe it's a gradual progression. Maybe we didn't run away, but certainly we did walk away. Uh, we, this talk could sound something like, you know, I don't need all these rules and laws. I'm free. I don't need God watching over me. I, I, in fact, I don't think I need God at all. I don't need some invisible king taking away my freedom. He never seems to be on my side anyway. Except here's the thing. For many of us, what we thought was claiming of what we believed to be personal freedom, it actually wasn't real at all. We realized that we didn't gain freedom. It actually ended up as a loss of freedom. The reason is, we just traded one king for another. We, you, were created. So that means there is a creator which also means that we weren't created to be our own kings. So I want to say something now that may sound a little bit weird to our modern ears, so just fair warning. Uh, maybe we can go to this next slide. Uh, we were created to be ruled over, which means when we say no to one king, we are always, always choosing another king. There is no such thing as absolute and total autonomy. I know everyone kind of wants it, but it is a destination we just can't arrive at. We can't be completely autonomous. We can say no to the Creator King. When, sorry, when we say no to the Creator King, we simply choose a different king. Here's some examples of how we may find ourselves ruled by some other kings. The first one. One day you might say to yourself, God, I'm tired of wrestling. I'm tired of saying no. I just want to give in to this thing, this temptation, if you will. I'm tired of feeling like a failure all of the time. So I'm just going to give in. I'll just say yes. So time passes, and all of a sudden, you can't say no. Now you're ruled by a new king. Maybe it will dawn on you that you've just traded one king for another. Here's a second example. Uh, insecurity. You want to be a Christian, but where you live and where you work and where you play, being a Christian, it's just so weird. Uh, I just don't want to feel or appear weird all the time. It, it, so it plays on your insecurities. You're a little different, and so people don't invite you to stuff. They kind of quit talking when you walk by, so you decide to stop playing this game. Forget it. You know what? I'll just do what I want, when I want, with whom I want. I just want to be a part of the group. And then, before you realize it, your insecurity is ruling you. Some other kings that we may not realize that we actually subject ourselves to, things like lust, greed, fear, comparison. You see these little kings? Do, do you know how we find ourselves ruled by them? Hmm. It often begins with the decision to say this, a decision to say, I won't. I won't obey. I'm not going to be morally pure. I'm not going to tell the truth. 
I won't live on a budget. I won't do what you say. I won't do what you want. I won't, I won't, I won't. And then these little kings, they kind of whisper in our ears, and they're like, yeah, don't let anyone tell you what to do. But inevitably, that decision to say, I won't, it, it turns into realizing you can't. You can't stop. You can't get away. You can't back out. You can't keep it under control. You can't change. You want to change, but you can't. You might find yourself saying, I, I want to go back to the way it was before. I, I want to go back to the days when I had a clear conscience. I want to go back to the days that maybe other people didn't like me, but, but, but at least I liked myself. I want to go back to the days where I was connected to a healthy community, surrounded by people who were all going in the same direction that I always wanted to go. But I can't seem to go back there. It's because these little kings, the kings of lust and greed and comparison and insecurity and fear, they actually don't love you. They don't have your best interests in mind. It's always easier to say no to God than it is to say no to the things you substitute for God. God, I'm not doing that anymore. God, I'm leaving. God, I won't do what you say. God, I won't forgive her. Why is it always easier to say no to God than it is to say no to the things that you substitute for God? God, you know, I know I shouldn't conduct myself that way. I know I shouldn't let other people's opinion of me drive me to distraction. It's easy to say no to God. But why is it that when you want out that it's so much more difficult to say no to the things or the person you substituted for God? than it was to say no to God? Why is it more difficult to say no to the created thing than it is to say no to the creator king? The substitute kings, they're not merciful. The substitute kings do not love you. However, the substitute kings, they will control you. The substitute kings, they will take away your freedom. Here's a lesson we all learn, either the easy way or the hard way. Our next slide. Maximum freedom is found under the canopy of God's authority. Maximum freedom is never found serving the little kings. That's why it's easier to say no to God than it is to say no to all the little kings. Now, at the end of this first little piece of history told in the book of Judges, here's how it ends. Let's go to Judges 3, 8. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel so that he sold them into the hands of Cushan uh, Rishathim, king of the Aram Nahirim, to whom the Israelites were subject for eight years. So, again, God basically said, you like the Canaanite ways, they come with a Canaanite king. You want the ways, here is the king that goes along with the ways you like so much. You can't have both at the same time, because this is the reality. The ways reflect the king. For eight years, the Israelite people suffered at the hands of a man whose culture they adopted. They suffered under a king whose God they had chosen to worship for eight long years. At the end of the eight years, they did what some of you did at the end of eight years um, that some of you might be ready to do. They did what some of you need to do. They threw up their hands and said, God, we 
have sinned. God, we were fools. God, we went for the very thing you warned us about. God, we, we thought that in expressing our independence, somehow we would gain more freedom. Now, now we realize that in trying to live our lives in our own autonomy, we didn't gain freedom. In fact, we gave it away. We've been conquered by the very king and culture that we copied. Oh God, great and mighty one, with one desire we come. Would you come and reign in us and over us, in us? Deliver us, we beg you. And the Israelite people, just like us, when we offer that cry, when we offer that prayer, what's God's answer? Of course, yes, because you're still my chosen ones. One of the amazing things about the Christian faith that's illustrated through the history of the nation of Israel is that God is number one. First thing about God is that he is a God of mercy. But he's so merciful that he will not force his way on you. He will let you choose. Do you know why you get to choose? He doesn't want to control you. If he wanted to control you, he would have created you as controlled. God wants to love you, and God wants you to love him back, something the little kings have no understanding of. The unfortunate tragedy about being ruled by little kings is that there are seasons in life that we are ruled by them and not God. For some of us, we know we can't get our teens, teen years back. We can't get our 20s back. We can't get our 30s back. For some of us, we can't get our 40s back. We can't reparent our children. We can't have a first marriage again. Those years, those experiences, once they're gone, they're gone. And they were wasted serving little kings who care not about you or your future. In our attempts to do what we want, when we want, with whom we want, we simply trade one king for another. Here's the truth. The amazing thing about God as king is that love lies at the heart of our relationship with him. His love is expressed in our freedom to go when we want to go. And his love is expressed in the grace and the mercy that he grants in order to receive us when we come back. So just as he took Israel back over and over, he's willing to take us back over and over. So I pray that this story in Judges, that this story of the nation of Israel and how God loved them unconditionally can be reflected in our lives. I pray that this story offers us comfort, it offers us healing, and it offers us encouragement. Uh, let's pray. God, there are a lot of voices that um, 
are telling us which way to go. As your followers of your son, we know that your voice seeks to pierce through all the others. Uh, there are, uh, you remind us constantly of what it means to be in a loving relationship with you so that we can be in a loving relationship with others. Help us to um, open our hearts, our minds, and our spirits to that voice that keeps calling us back to that God. Um, we want to be ruled by you. We know that um, following other little kings is a path of destruction, a path of hurt. And uh, God, we know that the opposite is true when we are ruled by you. As we go through this week, God, uh, for those of us that uh, have a moment of clarity, uh, that are needing it from you, God, that we need to go in a different direction, um, I pray that you remind us that your grace and mercy is there to receive us and that at any time we can turn, turn around and, and serve you. Thank you for this community of believers. I pray that uh, you continue to be with us, that you be in our relationships, that you continue to uh, allow us to be an encouragement to one another. Thank you again for how faithful you have been. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Will you stand with us and we'll close with the final song today?